0: Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors.
1: If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you.
0: Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass.
1: On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, And you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats.
0: The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck!
1: And welcome back to another episode of How Did We Not Know That? My name's Nat. My name's Jack. And today we have another super exciting episode about Supreme Court cases. We
0: love the U.S. Supreme Court. (laughs) So today we're presenting on... See, Loving versus Virginia a Supreme Court case of 1967.
1: Ooh, I've actually I've heard about this.
0: Yeah, it's a popular one.
1: Yeah, didn't they just make a movie about it?
0: You know my sister asked me the same thing. I think that yeah, they must have like recently. This is also a really easy Supreme Court case to remember. So Loving versus Virginia is basically it's not basically. It is the case that outlawed banning interracial marriage. Yeah. So it's like love wins. And this was the case that in 2015 when same-sex marriage was granted, the rights yeah. were granted, same-sex marriage equal had equal rights. Because I there's like double negatives when I say like this outlawed the ban yeah. of
1: <laughs> it gets confusing, yeah.
0: But yeah, it outlaws the ban on same-sex marriage. So gotcha. Anyways, that case that happened in 2015 is uh heavily influenced on the same argument that was made in this case. Okay,
1: I see. I did not realize it.
0: Okay, so Loving versus Virginia, 1967. So to talk about this case, we have to go all the way back to 1924. And we're going to talk a bit about something that they thought was needed in Virginia, but it was called the Racial Integrity Act of 1924. I don't understand why something like this existed, but now that I do research I'm like okay I'm not surprised. It was arranged by the General Assembly of Virginia and this act reinforced racial segregation by prohibiting interracial marriage and classifying well interracial marriages but only in regards to a white person and then anyone colored. So if you're colored and this other person's colored you guys can marry like if you're Hispanic you're black you guys can marry that's fine. Between white people and anyone who's not white, that was I did not realize that. I thought it was just, yeah, wow, okay. No, it was just white people um, and anyone who was colored. Yikes. So, during this time in 1924, interracial marriage was still a law handled by the state. So, a lot of the... Yeah, there are some states that were more open to it, like Ohio... Uh, had interracial marriage in 1884 I believe that was already a thing. Oh really? Yeah a lot of the northern states already had interracial marriages. That's really early.
1: Yeah. I would have thought it would have been a lot
0: later. Yeah no I was surprised too. The northern states had it by 1884 and then States like California out west that maybe became acquired a little later had it by 1967. What? So,
1: 1967? Yeah, like, in 1924
0: to 1967, like, they were allowing it, but then it was, like, not until 1967 that it finally got outlawed, and all of these southern states, sorry, southern states, this is just your history, they, <laughs> they had this for until the Supreme Court ruled that it's outlawed. We're spoiler yeah. Word, yeah, we outlawed this.
1: But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> band. So, now we're in
0: 1958. So, I'm going to introduce you to two of our characters. There's a girl named Mildred Jeter. She's an African-American woman. And a white man named Richard Lovings. So, they fell in love as young teenagers in rural Virginia. Mm-hmm. And in the summer of 1958, Mildred was about 18 at the time, and she discovers she's pregnant with Richard Loving's child. So their child, he's the father, and Richard is white. So they decide to get married, but since it's still banned, interracial marriage is banned in Virginia, they decide to go to D.C. where it's legal and get married there. So they get married in D.C. and they return to Virginia. Shortly after, oh, sorry, and this was in June 1958, they got married. And so they come back to Virginia, and shortly after, on July 11th, 1958, at 2 a.m., the local sheriff and cops come in, and they just, like, break and enter into their house and break into, like, their bedroom as well in the middle of the night and arrest them, and they end up going to jail. So they're charged on violation of the Racial Integrity Act. So they both plead guilty to it, and they're sentenced to either one year of prison, or they can be banished from Virginia for 25 years and... If they return after the 25 years, they can't be married.
1: Whoa, that's a really long time. And they can't be married.
0: I know. I know. I read that and I was like, But, like, that's a really long time, especially when you have family and friends in Virginia.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah, because at first, my first thought was, like, is Virginia that nice that, like, you would be super upset about never going back? I've never been to Virginia. But if your whole family lives there. Yeah.
0: Right. I get it now. At first, when I read that, I was like, okay, I just leave Virginia. Yeah. But now that I'm older, when you leave a place for 25 years, that's your whole life. You don't get to see any. Yeah, like where you grew up and your whole life is there. Yeah, and they grew up there. That's like where they live. That's where they work. That's their home. Mm. So anyways, they moved to D.C. and they really don't like it. They miss the fam. They miss their friends. So they decide five years into their sentencing, they're going to come back and visit And, again, they get arrested when they enter Virginia for traveling together. Wow. And then, so, Mildred, they have to go back to D.C. Mildred gets, like, pretty tired about it, and she decides to write a letter to attorney Robert Kennedy. And this is the brother of John F. Kennedy, who was president at the time. But they write to Robert Kennedy. And Robert Kennedy, in 1963 and 1964-ish, I tried to gather info. And some people said 1963, some people said 1964. But Mildred writes the letter around that time. And Robert Kennedy refers her, her to the American Civil Liberties Union, so ACLU, Yeah, which, yeah, it still exists today. This is the, if anyone is, remembers the 2016 elections, everyone started donating to ACLU. Um, and ACLU is a, it's a nonprofit organization that was founded in the 1920s to defend and preserve the individual rights and liberties guaranteed to every person in this country, by the Constitution and laws of the United States. So the letter gets forwarded to ACLU and two attorneys reach out to the Lovings and they take on their case. So the two attorneys are Bernie Cohen and Philip Hirschkop. I hope I said that right. And they file a motion on behalf of the Lovings to the Virginia Caroline County Circuit Court requesting to allow their marriage since denying it breaks the 14th Amendment's equal protection clause. And I'll get into explaining that later into the episode. But they end up losing the trial court, which is, like, where they were first pled guilty and had their sentencing. And then after that, it gets escalated up to the Virginia Supreme Court, and they lose again. Oh. So after that, it goes up to the Supreme Court, and, um... During this time, uh, the Lovings were getting a lot of social media attention, too, that they didn't really want. They had, like, a whole article published in Time magazine. Yeah, because this is also, so Civil Rights Movement, for anyone who's not familiar, the Civil Rights Movement in America, that happened, like, 50s to 60s. So, 1963, 1964, this is, like, right right before the Civil Rights Movement. This is one of those things where people or local state governments are still trying to enforce segregation through marriage. They get a lot of social media attention they didn't really want. So they don't even show up to the U.S. Supreme Court hearings or any of that because they just didn't want it. They just they're just two people in love. They didn't want to deal with all of this.
1: And also like I'm sure like their safety was being threatened as well. Ooh tea. And that's, yeah, you're right. Like, they're just a, they just want to be a regular, normal, married couple. Like,
0: I know. It's such a privilege to think that that wasn't your right. Which I, I mean, 2015, we just had same-sex yeah. marriage. And now, like, future generations, we're like, what? That was outlawed? Yeah. <laughs> and in some countries, it is still outlawed. I'm sure in some countries, they outlaw interracial marriage, too. So I wouldn't. I don't even know if this is a fully resolved problem in the world. Yeah. So it gets escalated to the U.S. Supreme Court. And on April 10th of 1967, the court engages in, like, the debate that they have. So the issue was whether or not a state law prohibiting marriage exclusively on the basis of race was constitutional under the 14th Amendment. And the 14th Amendment grants citizenship to all people born or naturalized in the United States, including former slaves, and guarantees all citizens equal protection of the laws. Okay, and then there are two clauses within the 14th Amendment that the argument really used, and it was the Equal Protection Clause, which basically forces a state to govern impartially, so you can't draw distinctions between individuals solely on differences that are ill Irrelevant or to a legitimate governmental objective. (laughs) Uh, So basically equal protection. States are supposed to protect their citizens equally. Yeah. And then the due process clause is the, it states that nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So basically this means, it's a fancy way of saying an individual's right to marry cannot be invaded by the state. Another thing that the court also uses to argue against it is they apply strict scrutiny. Have you heard of that?
1: I guess, like, strict, strict scrutiny is, like, they have to examine it very carefully.
0: Yeah, kind of. So, they basically, the state's laws that involve racial classification, they have to pass strict scrutiny. Okay. So, any, this is, this gets applied to any affirmative action policy. It has to be, there are two things it has to fulfill. It has to be necessary to further a compelling state interest and it also has to be narrowly tailored to further that interest. Okay. So if you led like affirmative action in colleges that like wants you to meet a certain quota for African American students or Asian American students, um that ha- that passes both of the qualifications. So that's why something related to race can be enforced. I see. Okay. And that's called strict scrutiny. Mm-hmm. So those are uh, that was what the Supreme Court that was like their argument or people against it that was their argument, and the Virginia's argument was that a more deferential analysis should apply because the state punishes members of both
1: races equally what do you think about that huh i mean yeah that's really that's i feel like that's a really sleazy one. i don't know like i guess technically both races are being affected but i don't agree with no i just i don't like it like that's yeah it's wrong and i feel like that's like oh such a like technical like oh well right it feels wrong it feels a little wrong how about like yeah if, if it affects both races and like they just shouldn't affect either race at all. Just let them be happy,
0: you know? Exactly. No, that's a good... I think that's a good starting argument. I think the, the people in the court did a little better, though. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> they basically rejected that claim, and they noted that the law draws a racial classification on its face by forbidding international marriages with white people. So strict scrutiny does apply, because it's just white people are not supposed to mix yeah. with whatever, like, other race, but they're okay with colored people mixing. So court eventually rules that the anti-miscegenation law, which is just like the Racial Integrity Act of 1924, they're miscegenation laws. So it just, like, prevents people from mixing um, races. And they ruled that that had no other purpose than to perpetrate per- per- perpetuate, <laughs> <laughs> perpetuate, perpetuate, <laughs> perpetuate racial discrimination and they concluded that the law had been created to further white supremacy and reason that the restriction on freedom to marry violates the principal purpose of the Equal Protection Clause, which is to eliminate state discrimination. Yes,
1: okay. Yeah, that is, I agree, that's a way better argument.
0: (laughs) I think you would have gotten to it eventually, but that was my first thought too. I was like, okay, Virginia has a point. (laughs) I was like, it's wrong yeah like i don't like it but yeah yeah like it feels wrong you know it's wrong but you don't know you need some more time to come up with why that's wrong and then you'd eventually get to that argument that they came up with (laughs) so on june 12th 1967 the court announces unanimously so everyone was like scrap it they sided with the lovings overturning their conviction and ruling virginia's interracial marriage ban as unconstitutional so Chief Justice Earl Warren rules that the state interracial marriage bans violate both the Equal Protection Clause and the Due Process Clause. And a direct quote from him is, the 14th Amendment requires that the freedom of choice to marry not be restricted by in... Invidious.
1: <laughs> I feel like that's a typo. Yeah. <laughs> is that a real Inviduous? word? In... Um, Invidious. I feel like I've never heard of that, but... <laughs>
0: Uh, restricted by let's call it (laughs) (laughs) state. to marry not be restricted by state racial discrimination under our constitution the freedom to marry or not marry a person of another race resides with the individual and cannot be infringed by the state so yay it's officially outlawed so from then on the states are all then outlawed from any type of marriage discrimination law on the basis of race, which, in so the Supreme Court's ruling, ruling invalidated, I'm literally having such a hard time talking today. <laughs> the, You're the Supreme Court's ruling invalidated interracial marriage bans that were in 16 states at that time. Wow, so it wasn't
1: just Virginia, it was 16.
0: Uh... Yeah, it wasn't just Virginia, so 16 states still had interracial marriage bans, mostly the south again sorry this is your history yeah. <laughs> just facts you know yeah those states actually kept it on the law books but they couldn't enforce it anymore after it was overturned so like a lot of the southern states not happy about it so they just
1: kept it despite but they but you can't like in- you can't actually enforce it it's just there for decoration yeah
0: you can't enforce it it's now federally outlawed and um <laughs> fun fact sorry alabama but Alabama was actually the first one, or not the first one, the last one to fully remove it in 2000. So eventually, Southern states remove it from the book. 2000? Wow.
1: Very... Yeah, That's crazy.
0: Which I think it says a lot. Well, well, we'll open it for discussion soon. But yeah, this helps a lot with... The civil rights movement pushing us forward. And this case, like we said earlier, also helped pave the path for future cases like the 2013 United States versus Windsor case. And the 2015 Obergefell versus Hodges for same-sex marriage rights case. Wow. And then, another fun fact, interracial couples today, we actually saw a huge... Well, it's actually not that big. But we see an increase in interracial marriages from 3% to 17% in 2015, which is honestly, not that much. 17% is kind
1: of... Yeah, I was gonna say, that's a lot smaller than I would have expected. Yeah,
0: people were saying, it's a huge jump, and I was like, is Is it? 17%? Really? Yeah, that makes me think a lot differently about my parents if it's only 17% in 2015. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think with Alabama not removing it till 2000 that blows my mind it just goes to show that yeah people say I hear this all the time like racism is in the past and we need to get over it but you know things don't get lifted till the 2000s also this case this wasn't banned till 1968 yeah. so wait eight or seven 1960 I just 1967 <laughs> oh my gosh So that's not that far off. That's less than a generation. You could be born into like a family who really believes no interracial marriage and just raised that way. Like it's not
1: gone. That's when my parents were born, like around in the mid 60s. So that's it's really not that long ago. Yep. Those thoughts can be passed
0: on. So now, I want to ask you, because fun fact, Nat and I are actually both children from interracial couples.
1: Yeah, multi-ethnic families! So we're going to
0: open it for discussion. Yeah! Yeah, I just want to ask you kind of like, how do you feel about knowing that this was a ban for so long? And how does that affect... How do you feel like as a mixed person who's come out of that knowing that your parents wouldn't have had that right before?
1: I think like what you said earlier about looking at the timeline like when my parents were born I think my dad was born one of my parents was born in 1965. My parents were born before this Supreme Court case so I think it's really strange to think about how when they were first born it was like illegal for them to even like be together and so that's really crazy to think because I don't know when we talk about it in history class or you know in whatever context like it seems like it was so long ago but it's really not and I think it's really weird to think of a world where like my parents couldn't be together because I I don't know it's just we're all regular people and like everyone should have right it feels weird
0: and to me I think like I don't know if you felt this way growing up. I'm very lucky to have, like, both sets of my grandparents are very open-minded, and, like, I never felt like I was different because I was mixed, but, like, with my family at least, but I watched a video about these couples who were interracial, and they were talk like, today, this was released in 2017, and they were talking about what it was like, like, it was celebrating the Loving versus Virginia case anniversary, they're talking about their relationships today and things they go through, and... Um, A lot of them said that they weren't accepted by the other person's family, and sometimes they're, like, estranged with their parents because
1: they really don't believe they should be together. Yeah. I think I'm really lucky. Um, Both grandparents, my grandparents on both sides were very accepting, and I think I'm really lucky to be coming from a multi-ethnic family because growing up in a household where we have, you know, multiple ethnicities and multiple heritages and cultures, like I think I'm really lucky to grow up with that background because I think it really shaped my per- my world, worldly perspectives and kind of how I see the rest of the world. And I, I love it so much. Like I have so many different cultures that I can learn about and so many things I could share with other people. I really love talking about both of my heritages. So I it just makes me so sad to think about all the people in the past who who didn't have not only the right, but like their safety was threatened because of the person they loved. And it's really exciting to think about. Yeah.
0: And still today. So like that was outlawed, but still today people... With same sex marriage it was only in 2015. And so... And all of the, you know, problems that they went through too. And I, I agree with you. Like, I really love being mixed. I think it's the best thing about me. But growing up, I definitely... And this is probably because I grew up in rural Ohio, which yeah. Ohio is pretty forward compared to the southern states, like we're yeah. pretty more um, accepting. And even in rural Ohio, it's more closed-minded than most, like when it comes to a lot of issues on that. And uh, growing up, I always felt not, ex- not accepted really for being mixed. I always didn't feel like I was good enough for either side, which could just be like mixed experiences yeah
1: I completely resonate with that
0: yeah and I also would I just want to cut the southern states some slack too (laughs) because I think you don't get to choose where you're born right and if you're born into a state where everyone around you it's like outlawed to mix that's the stuff you're taught so it doesn't surprise me that even today people say like oh the south is not great like (laughs) you you know they're they're slower (laughs) with banning these Racial discriminatory laws, and so they're gonna take a
1: while to become more accepting. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point to make. Yeah, that's I mean, where you're born and your local legislation and like lo- law, judicial system really has an impact on the way you see the world and other people. And yeah, so I think that's a really interesting point to talk about. Yeah, this case, I feel I'm like really grateful for. These two people who fought so hard, I just feel so sad that you know their whole life they had to spend fighting. I'm glad that it has a happy ending. I'd really like to see the movie to get more insight into what it was like. Cause I I, I swear they just released a movie about this yeah I think it'd be interesting to learn more about what they had to say about the whole experience and working with the ACLU and the whole civil rights movement
0: and the thing is too they weren't activists right they're just normal people and they just wanted to be married and so they didn't ask for like they did send it to the ACLU like Mildred just wrote a letter she didn't
1: yeah they didn't think that it was gonna
0: be escalated to that extent yeah
1: so I do I'm so sad that You know, they had to fight this fight when, you know, it should have just been a guaranteed right.
0: Definitely. But also, it's eye-opening because, you know, during the civil rights movement, the Supreme Court unanimously agreed that this was discriminatory. And that says a lot about how important it is to have the right people in the right seats for government. Because if they... If any of them felt like, the Virginia Supreme Court ruled that, no, we should keep that. And if that majority had been in the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, then you would see that outlawed for even longer. So representation in government is really, really
1: important. I 100% agree.
0: Like, don't take for granted the way, if you're living in, like, a good country, it's because of good leadership. And that should be really acknowledged and respected and aspired to continue. 100%. Yeah. I also want to ask you, too, um, how do you feel about this on both sides, right? Like, when you meet, I don't know if you feel this, but, like, as a mixed person, I just feel like people who are not interracial, like, they don't come from interracial backgrounds, I feel like they have less interest in, like, mixed people, you know what I mean? Like, that comes up with me for dating. Like, if someone's, if I'm talking to someone who's, like, their parents are both immigrants, I feel like they wouldn't want a mixed person coming into that and that's something that surprised a lot of my friends because a lot of my friends will be like maybe full Nigerian or full Indian full Korean and I always ask them like what do your parents think about it or what would you how would your parents feel if you married someone who wasn't Korean or whatever and they always say like oh like they wouldn't care like it's not that weird um and they're always surprised when I say I feel uncomfortable with that but then i also ask them okay well then would you marry like someone who isn't and they'd be like no I think I want to keep it like culture wise so I'm like okay I see like a double standard in that where I respect that you want to keep it in the culture but that also would also imply that you would see interracial mixing
1: as lower than yeah no I think that's really important to point out that it's not necessarily you know just (laughs) one-sided it's white people being hesitant to mix you know it comes from all sides and so I think that's really interesting to point out um especially when we look at interracial marriage on a global context because obviously this discussion is being held all over the world and so yeah I guess so I've spent time abroad in multiple countries and most of the countries I went to were very homogenous um And so it's really interesting as a mixed person living in these countries talking about how, you know, like my parents are from different ethnicities and like kind of seeing, I guess, a lot of people, some people (laughs) were, I guess, surprised and maybe like hadn't even in some extremes, like hadn't even seen that as an option and had a lot of questions about what it was like to grow up that way. So, yeah, again, it's not just I like I. it's important to reiterate that it's not necessarily just an american struggle an american issue um it's all around the world but i think i don't know i want to say that like maybe this is a cliche but like with globalization everyone it's like mixing and i don't know it's difficult yeah i think there's layers to it i think like
0: i guess the way i grew up in a very homogenous like area that might be why i have these preconceived notions with it, but I think it's also a valid feeling of like when mixed people feel like a little lesser than because like people who come from interracial measures, like I didn't meet another mixed person till I was twenty seven like in twenty seventeen when I studied abroad. That was like my first mixed friend. She was like half Swedish, half Korean. And I was like, where have you been all my life? <laughs> and she, like, you don't have to explain anything when you meet another mixed person. Yeah. Like, they just get it. Yeah,
1: I think, well, yeah, I remember because, like, when we first met, that was something we bonded over really quickly. Um, I think I had a very different experience because growing up, I grew up in Chicago, which is, a, I guess, a lot more diverse than rural Ohio. So I, am, I was lucky to be surrounded with multiple ethnicities. So I guess growing up, I didn't really think too much about it I do like I, I think a lot of multi-ethnic people mixed uh people kind of have the same challenge where like you have to balance or you feel like maybe you're not equally accepted on both sides and it's always kind of hard to you almost feel like you're struggling to like choose which side of your family you um you relate more with and it's kind of hard to like accept not I guess it's I feel like for me personally it's easy to accept that I'm mixed maybe when I talk to other people it's harder for them to accept that I'm mixed and like that I'm equally both (laughs) like multiple ethnicities and so I get a lot
0: of questions on like what do you identify as like what did you put on your college application yeah
1: that was oh my god I'm like
0: it's not a choice (laughs) like I I'm equally both so I put both down well
1: yeah and that's the thing yeah that was always a thing growing up like whenever we took examinations like like ACT or whatever like they you have to check which race you are and uh, yeah it was always really sometimes the way it's worded makes it really difficult you know and it's really confusing especially uh as a Latino like there's always like Hispanic are you white Hispanic are you not white Hispanic and so it's like all these like different boxes I'm like. Why? I don't know. I guess I never, but yeah, it really wasn't until I started living abroad. And then I realized that like, I was really lucky to grow up where I did because I feel like I was more accepted. And then you go, then I went to certain countries where it was very, you know, homogenous and there aren't really any mixed couples at all. And so I guess maybe I had taken it for granted earlier, but then it was really, I was really lucky to be in a position too, where I could share my experience as a mixed person, and like, kind of share why it's super awesome. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I think it's something that you appreciate more with time, too, because when you're little, like, it might just be, like, the vein to your existence, like, it was the (laughs) vein of my existence to be half Asian, Yeah, and I remember, but I know that, like, in some East Asian countries, a lot of the time, you're really, really looked down upon for being mixed, and Mm. that's, like,
1: citizenships not allowed. All these things. Yeah. No, it's a really complex issue, and yeah, you know, in different parts of the world, I feel like you get a different, different vibe. <laughs> so it's very complex, but right, and that's a result of government leadership. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't take government leadership for granted. Yeah. Right. If you like, representation is very important. Yes, one hundred percent. Yay, vote 2020. <laughs>
0: this has been an episode of How Did We Not Know That? If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on all social media, including YouTube at How Did We Not Know That. If you thought our podcast was low quality, we know we thought so too. Help us improve the podcast by contributing to our Patreon. Thank you for listening, and see you guys next week.